Hey, everybody. This is Lady H. With me is Lady D. Hey, everybody. Today, we have a special episode. This one has been two seasons in the making, and we're going to talk about Missy LaBelle, Solange, Badu, and the, the Society of Supreme Beings. And I want to start this off by reading a quote. Emily Lordy said, Afrofuturism, despite its status as a perennial cutting-edge pop culture trend, has a history and a trajectory. It has a gender. And it has ancestors who come not only from ancient Egypt, but from places as local as New Jersey who are still with us. Well, today that gender is Black women and Black women femmes. And I said, Missy Elliott. And that means the DMV. And we can't talk about the DMV without my wonder twin. You know him. You love him. Maurice, welcome. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. And representing VA, it's another Queen chat. Hello and welcome, Queen Mom Mindy. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me back, too. Absolutely. We've been flirting with this for quite a while. Queen Mom Mindy was with us when we talked Janelle Monet. And Mo was with us when we did our Screen Queens episode talking about women in horror. And we highlighted Aaliyah a little bit, but we didn't really talk about her futuristic sound and music videos. And of course, Lady D has been with us as we talk Grace Jones and Beyonce. But now we're really going to give Missy her shine because we're Missy fans. We also talked a little bit, side note about Janet Jackson and Janet Jackson's music videos, but we didn't really talk about her in a speculative sense. So we're going to do that a little bit now. just want to ask each of you, when you think about Missy, and we're talking about Missy Elliott, are you a fan? How did you come to her music and music videos, and what do they mean to you? I came upon Missy Elliott, I'll say like the early to like almost mid-90s, she was down with the Vontae Swings Swing Mob. And she was, I remember getting the old Word Up magazines and they had an advertisement for the group. She was in Sister. And, you know, she, it was like they was outside doing something. And you could see her, she was like kneeling on the ground. The album might have came out, but I know I've seen a couple of that songs on streaming services. And the next thing you know, she did back her vocals on Josie's, um Third, on, she was on the second album as well, um, Diary of a Mad Band. She did some background vocals on there. Um, you can hear her on the, the last track, the Jola Sadio Hotline, where she was doing, she was one of the people leaving messages. And then she was on that third album, the show after party hotel. She was doing the intro on um on Get On Up, the one she was like, I'm the motherfucking groupie. <laughs> I'm the she said something like that along that line. So she was doing little stuff like that. Then when she came out in 96, Gina Thompson dropped the um, Things You Do, and she was on there doing a the rap verse. That's when it was like, okay, Missy Elliott was hitting. All of a sudden, we started seeing Missy Elliott everywhere. She was doing the new edition, You Don't Have to Worry remix. She did a track with Rhythm Vision. She was all over the place. And it was all leading up to her debut album release and, you know, Rings and Super People Fly. And it was what she wrote. So I'm a huge fan, love her music. Oh, just 
everything, her her writing, her producing, the videos that she put together. I mean, I can go on and on and on, but I want to let everyone else, you know, get that chime in and then we can come back to it. So being that I'm from where she's from, 757, um, I'm from New She's from, oh, she's from Portsmouth. I think she's from Portsmouth. Either way, same area. Pretty much anything she did, we heard down here, they played on the radio. So when I really became familiar with her and like saw her was uh, super duper fly. But of course she was on other remixes. She's on other songs that she, you know, she wrote for people for Leah. So before I knew who she was, I loved her music. So I came to know Missy Elliott just with the super duper fly song and video, because basically the extent of most of my musical listening is was from whatever was playing on the radio. So just like Queen Mel Mindy said, I may have been exposed to her through other things, but just didn't know it. But that was my first real exposure where I could recognize her. I've shared this story a few times, but I didn't have cable growing up. I kept up with Black and hip hop culture and teen culture through magazines. So I saw stills of her and mentions of her in the source and Vibe magazines and some of the other ones like Honey and Suede and whatnot. But I was over my friend's house. Um, I used to go after to her house after school and she used to just turn on BET because she was like, girl, I know you deprived. And my mom was blown with the visuals. We're going to like move towards the the aesthetic of Missy Elliott because her collaborations with Hype Williams and Dave Myers, I think shaped everything. Y'all all know I'm a nerd. Y'all all know that I will cosplay, but I think that cosplaying started clicking and making sense to me through two of my favorite videos of hers, which are the earlier two, which is Sakitumi, the one where it was like Lil' Kim and a brat, and they were just like Mega Man and running. And I was like, oh, I could do that. And I really was plotting because it was like that video, looking at it now, I was like, you can't tell me that wasn't done at King's Dominion. So I was like, man, I know I can do this. And then also um, Beat Me 911, which is also one of my favorite songs. Unfortunately, in that video and song, we did lose two people, Irish from 702 and Magoo. So rest in peace and power to them. But um, she was dressed like the evil queen. And I thought, Oh. And then also the makeup where they were demented dolls. I just thought that was so incredibly cool. And then that was just, what, the first album? And then when you go on and see the transition and the trajectory, Missy Elliott videos to me was like how Michael Jackson videos used to be in the 80s, which was it's it was a primetime event because that's how we used to see him fox since i have mtv or anything else that's what she was in terms of visual um feasts and the makeup choices they're still fresh and relevant today so not she had it all yes the music was great but then when you add in the choreography the concept the makeup the hair the costumes she really really defines avant-garde okay somebody came off of mute like they was about to be like nah or hallelujah <laughs> it was me i agree um her videos were definitely they were always unique nothing was you know it wasn't just you know regular videos 
there somewhere singing or whatever or rapping. Hers were unique. They were events. You know, was everyone was going to be different. The comparison of Michael Jackson is is accurate. And I want to say, um, I think they kind of call each other twins. Her and Busta, they were kind of on the same creative lane of everything they did was totally different and out there from what they did before. You weren't going to see anything the same from them ever, even now. So listen, piggybacking off of that. So when everyone was talking about versus matchup and everybody kept saying, oh, we got to be busted versus Missy because they were definitely in the same realm of creativity with their videos and music and everything. And so it just kind of reminds me of, I think it was the chaos one, Big Daddy Kane versus Buster came out there and said, find me a worthy versus opponent. And then Missy on the Fly and a Boss remix said, who want to do versus with me? Dark not. That line had everybody popping. I quoted that on, on in the Instagram comments and like 50 people was liking it and everything. It was just like, you know, if we still could get that versus between her and Missy and Buster, I would definitely be here for it because it would definitely be an event. Well, see, if they did something like that, it would have to be as what Disney calls a spectacle. I got Queen Mindy on a line and we talked about the Little Mermaid stage show. And it's like, yo, they what they would do is play part of the cartoon and then reenact the video and then go forth like that. I think that the thing that makes them contemporaries, like you said, is the music videos and the choreography. So it has to be recreations of the videos. So if you ain't going to fly the brat, I don't even on a hoverboard. I don't even know what that was. When she's off of maternity leave, what we doing? I don't know how y'all right. that's a Dutch. I mean, it has to be, that's what makes them contemporaries is the music video and the visual. So I can see easily a recreation of Put Your Hands Where Your Eyes Can See. But I, I think they would have to do something similar to what they did with D'Angelo, where it was D'Angelo and friends, and they would have to do it separately. But and I want it to be more like what verses used to be with the stories. So I wouldn't mind if you played a little bit of the video or some of the dancers or whoever came out and talked, but I want to hear where she came, where either one of them came up with the concept for it. Who came up with the idea? Like she told the story of when she was with the the big suit, the big inflatable suit, Mm -hmm. how she had to walk down the street and get that blown up at a service station. Um, Like I want to hear stories like that because that's what's the interesting part. Like we've seen the video, but how did you come up with this off the wall stuff? All right, so here's the concept. You explain the video like you said, the behind the scenes, the stories, maybe show a little bit, but then the live performance recreation. Yeah. 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 That, and I, I hear that would you be, on it. I think Versus is kind of over, unfortunately. It's um, over. When they sold it and they went corporate, it's over. But you, can I just say that... One thing that it, it was, it was corporate, they tried to sell it to uh, a black brand and it was just like everything just went downhill with the whole giving every just trying to you know give to a platform a solely like primary black platform that really wasn't built to you know handle all that and everything if they were stuck with apple then might have been i could see what the 
the argument be made today. I, I, I think it just lost its essence. And a part of it, like they talked, they wanted to celebrate. A part of it was more than just seeing for pe people perform. A part of it was hearing the stories. That's how we were celebrating the people. We were learning about them, like an unsung or where you learn behind the music. That is what the special part was. And when they tried to make it a concert, like it kind of lost a little bit of its specialness. Here we are. It is 2023. Hip hop is celebrating 50 years. There have been lots of different documentaries, performances, and acknowledgments of what hip hop is in terms of some of the music. But I really haven't heard a lot of this, like you saying, the retrospective and talking about the making of the video of it, per se, uh, from the director's perspective. Where is Hype Williams now? I've been asking that because I've seen that Billy Woodruff, who used to direct music videos, they've gone on to do television shows. Little X has also directed other things. Dave Myers, I think, did a few, but is still directing music videos. I think that we should talk about that. So much of the culture and the influence went global, not just because of the magazines and the music that you hear in the airwaves, but because of the visual aspect of it. And where are those stories talking to June Ambrose, Misa Hilton, um, like all of those people that did the hair design, did the makeup design. Where are they talking about this? Is All of us collectively influenced hip hop and hip hop culture. True. Um, you're right. A lot of the, the video directors have moved on to film and TV. Um, I don't, I don't know what Ty Williams is really doing. I mean, he's posted on Instagram, but it's not like he seems to be posting projects. But before these people are gone, we need to get these stories down. Somebody needs to do like a 30 for 30, a behind the music, an unsung. There should be like a huge, gigantic retrospective of hip hop where we go through the decades. I mean, Own just did a thing for Essence for 50 years. Mm-hmm where it was quite a few episodes and they went decade by decade. We need to do something like that. Well, Netflix has a women hip hop one. So I guess there's some little ones around, but I mean, it, it doesn't hurt to have more. It doesn't, but I also have a caveat. We need to have them through the eyes of the culture that Look, let me just put it another way. It needs to be Black people telling the story of hip-hop. It needs to be Brown people telling the story of hip-hop. I am not interested in what white people have to say about hip-hop. I don't want to hear it through your eyes. For real? You're no, not interested? You not don't want to hear nothing they got to say about it? Not a period, <laughs> not a penny, not, no. a, not a nothing. You don't want to hear don't... not even your M&Ms? Not even your Tina Marie? You don't want to hear them? Well, wait. Tina Marie. They're different. That was wild. Uh, or oh, Paul Wall. Man, he could have gone Tina Paul Wall. Hold on. Tina Marie put it by left field with that one. I know. Why? Why? What's what? Tina Marie. I'm just saying. I love you, though. No. But like, they're a part of the culture. But they We're talking about people who are outside. Yes. We're talking about people who are outside, who love the culture, who are then trying to commodify it 
and distill it in a way that makes sense to them no, instead um, of huh? I was, look i was making the jokes i was making light <laughs> that's what me i was being stupid <laughs> no but real quick even with eminem i think it was on his second or third album he was just saying how the underground rap underground was mad because he did a song with missy you know so he wouldn't he would be too big to do a song with mc get busy or something like that so it was like when he went and did something missing, it was like the underground got mad at him. So it was like, what, what do you want? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but those are stories that you, that you need to have told. But I'm talking about like rap genius or where people like decoding oh, okay. the lyrics because they don't understand like some things aren't meant to be translated because they aren't meant to be understood outside of the people that they're talking about. There's a dissolution of culture when it gets removed from different people. I mean, when you think about why the crossroads and some of the Southern and even in Oakland, I mean, just the grieving culture of uh, hip hop because so many people have died young and how different cultures honor their dead. And some of it was through music and also like when you see the t-shirts or the fashion whatever and then it becomes a music video and people don't understand it and commodify it and then distill it down and water it down because you don't get it and there's there's no a respect who would really be good at that questlove questlove does some things um, yeah. with it he curates it he has a podcast he's also a professor he does and he has a book he has done some documentaries i know that he is a custodian but he is a custodian not the custodian i mean he does so yeah. much with it also in the south there are a whole bunch of scholars that talk about the south and try to preserve the culture of it uh you have danielle belton who does it is also danielle smith you also have Dream Hampton. There's a whole bunch yeah. of people who have written the culture back in the day, have really had their trenches. And I'm saying, like, listen, those are the people that you want to talk to and fund so that their projects, so that they can use their connects, can tell the stories, can do so respectfully. And that's the yeah. other thing. Ninth, respectfully. Ninth wonder. Understand it. Yeah. Teaches a class, skills, teaches a class, a college class. Mm -hmm. I want to play still in his class. I know Clay was teaching a class for a while, too. Wait, who was that? Play from Getting Play. Oh, okay. Oh. And, but but also, I mean, like you were being funny, Aji, and I wish I could laugh. Because if you want to know who owns a lot of the collections of hip hop, well, they're in like right. Columbia University. Yeah. They're like, like in Harvard. Right. Yes. yes, but like, what does why is that dangerous? Well, because of course they will whitewash the history and the music and everything, as we all know that is the history of music. But dang, so many people have turned into professors. That's great. Lecturers. But wait, what you said is partially true, but they do that anyway without owning it. The problem is they own the artifacts in the collection. And once they are owned, then they can decide who views it when where and why so if you wanted to study hip-hop you have to ask their permission because it's their collection that's the problem if they decide to archive it and say yeah we're not actually we're gonna uh de-platform this because we we want to talk about something else 
and it's shelved, there's nothing you can do because they own it. That's the danger. And it's not in the hands of our own culture. But yes, professors, there's lots of professors. Uh, Melissa Harris Perry talks about it. Trisha Rose. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, Bradley. I can't think of her name. But there's a lot of Black women and men professor. Greg Tate did so much in documenting in academia and otherwise hip-hop and the hip-hop culture and Afrofuturism, taking it back. He passed not too long ago, but people do it. They're not often funded or supported the way that they should be, though. And that's just probably the, the issue is that they don't they probably don't think about at the time what the value is of what they're working with. They probably don't think, you know, how big of an impact it's going to make. So I think what they, you know, in the future, if you think, if you believe that what you're going to do is going to create an impact, you know, just some kind of salvage it, copyright, do whatever you got to do to keep it for your, keep it in house so that it won't get to the wrong hands. And then that, that person, like they say, have control of how to get showcased to outside eyes. It's kind of like Jay-Z doing the, um, his book of Hove. So mm-hmm. they've extended that they've extended that run until his birthday, December 4th. So I still haven't got up there to go see it yet, but I still have opportunities to go up there until December 4th to go see it. That's when they're closing the exhibit up there in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Public Library. So. Mm-hmm. Which has done so many great things in terms of getting people into the library and getting library cards. Because as people are banning books in schools, they aren't necessarily banning them in libraries. Right. But having said that, like we <laughs> we went off on a tangent. Um, does anybody else have a favorite Missy video look song? How do y'all want to discuss well, Missy? So, okay, so Missy. I would definitely, like you mentioned, um, Beat Me 911, definitely one of my favorite videos from her. The first time I saw uh, She's a Bitch, that video, and how she took it to the next level, I was like, wow. I mean, she, I mean, the makeup, how she had like the bald head, in terms of like video visuals to the next level at that time. And she just raised her own bar after it with like video after video after video that came out. Then you had Gossip Folks. Um, that was a good one. Um, and then you had Pastor Dutchie. It, she has a lot of videos that she just came out with. She had other collaborations with other artists as well, too. So, you know, she had a hand in a lot um, in her, throughout her career. And she's still very relevant and creative now. She's still working with um, younger people like Flying the Boss, them. And she's always worked with a lot of women. Um, I saw her Essence set and the whole concept, I think was kind of like, I guess her and all her dancers and stuff were aliens and they were visiting and we were, we were looking into their world. And then at the end, she, she left in her spaceship. Even that concept overall kind of fits into all of her, her whole career. My favorite video is still super duper fly. So, <laughs> Okay. Well, you know what? Queen Malmendi, you kind of gave us a perfect transition piece when you talked about her working with other women. I'm thinking the remake of Lady Marmalade with the original singers being LaBelle and LaBelle being Patti LaBelle, Nona Hendrix, and Sarah Dash. You know, when we came through the trajectory of the Supreme Beings 
And at first I was like, oh my gosh, we got to talk Missy Elliott and Missy Elliott videos. But you kind of can't talk about Missy Elliott videos without talking about the looks. And then just thinking about the history of it or just the influences that Missy stands on. And that would be LaBelle. In particular, Nona Hendrix from LaBelle. If you're not sure about the visuals, they came out in silver, in space age, in the 70s. Ola Hudson is a name that I want to shout out. Does anybody know who Ola Hudson is? No, ma'am. That's a no for y'all? Correct. Yes, I know. Ola Hudson is the mother of Slash, the guitarist from Guns N' Roses. She was a fashion designer who was known in the 70s. Uh, She mainly worked with David Bowie to help create the Ziggy Stardust and A Man Who Fell From Earth looks. She also did the Thin White Duke. But she was... She was fashion for, oh, and she also worked with the Pointer Sisters, which is why I was trying so hard not to say it, but fuck it. She worked with the Pointer Sisters too. And y'all know how much I love the Pointer Sisters and the Neutron Dance. That's another story for another day. But she was from LA, but she moved to London, was mainly known for her work in London and doing futuristic as well as historical fashion. So when she worked with the Pointer Sisters, she was paying homage to a lot of the styles of the 40s. And then, of course, the Thin White Duke was weird, but uh, she also, she had a show in 1974 called Los Angeles Space Age Designs, Past, Present, and Future. So she was very influential in terms of futuristic fashion. I could not find a direct connect that she worked with LaBelle, but I do know that when LaBelle did Lady Marmalade, they were in London at that time. So it was something in the air where she was designing. So there could have been some crossover overlap. I'm not entirely sure, but lots of silver, lots of space age design. Also at that time was Betty Davis. She described her look as Afrospace and she was the wife of Miles Davis. But you talk about some funk, Betty Davis. If you've ever heard of Joy Gilliam, a Star Kitty's Revenge Joy, ex-wife of Big Gip, Dungeon Family Joy, who also counts in my mind as a, a Black speculative artist and should be mentioned here. She's like Betty Davis reincarnated. So that's two in there. But we're going to go back to LaBelle. While LaBelle was known for Lady Marmalade and uh, Nightbird and some other songs. Fashion definitely helped them stand out. But the progenitor of that fashion and style and lyrics was Nona Hendrix. And Nona Hendrix, I've read some articles. She said that while she loved singing with LaBelle, she was watching and very much influenced by Superman comics and the attack of the 50 foot woman and also trying to understand the art and science of recording and the cosmologies, the synthesizers, the oxidation of tape, anything that could help with frequencies and sound. So when we talk about LaBelle, everybody knows Patty, 
But the space age design and a lot of the futuristic lyrics and the rock, that was Nona Hendrix. They are the avant-garde, that, no, that's a term, avant-garde godmothers of Black speculative music and fashion. Does anybody have any recollections of LaBelle or anything they want to say about the music and fashions and influence of LaBelle? Yes. Earlier today, I watched a kind of a short documentary on YouTube about them. And the interesting thing is they started off very much like in the 50s and 60s, more like the Supremes, like an R&B group. But as their popularity there waned, they started, uh, they worked more in Europe and were um, told to kind of be more rock and be more natural with their fros and stuff. So they sang back up for, for different rock groups and that kind of was a spark where they took that turn and were more glam and were more edgy. To the point, kind of towards the end of their career as a group in the 70s, they each wanted to do different things. So Nona wanted to be more rock influenced, Sarah wanted to be more disco influenced, and Patty wanted to be more soul. So when they embarked on their separate careers, that's kind of where they, they took things. I know that's right. But you do realize that most of the groups, lady female groups of certain eras, they all had the same look about them, pretty much. It's like everybody oh, yeah. being everybody. Yeah, it was all the same, same wigs, the same yeah. hair, everything. Same so that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why when they weren't doing as well, I forget who the person in England they went to and told them to like ditch all of that and switch this other way. So, and that's how they became more popular and stood out. And then mm-hmm. while music was changing then, it wasn't the same 50s doo-wop, disco, and more conscious music was coming in. So it was time for the change anyway. Right. I mean, nobody did it like the Space Birds. Nobody. Everything happens for a reason. Lady D, do you have any thoughts on LaBelle's look or anything like that? Oh, I watched the uh, documentary that Queen gave us this morning, too. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I didn't realize, and maybe just because by the time they were done, it was the 70s of basically what I heard into the 70s. And of course, you know, we weren't born till the beginning of the 80s. And what my mom and dad did listen to was, you know, I heard the Lady Marmalade song a few, but I didn't realize they had all that space look, which, like you said, all goes into our futuristic um, time conversation so that was cool to really learn that and you know when we talk about labelle i just think about patty labelle i forget about everybody else and that's a day i go on shame i want to say that nona is still with us but sarah dash passed away about two years ago just saying i remember being in sixth grade and we had we were taking french and so somebody one of the boys fellow boys in my class had asked the french teacher what did that part um in Lady Marmalade me and then when she said do you want to go to bed with me and it just kind of clicked like oh that's what they're saying they talk about and then we actually get older and you kind of understand what the song was about and everything so that was a little funny little sidebar story I had (laughs) I'm surprised your French teacher even told you looking back I'm surprised that she told us that too (laughs) (laughs) say <laughs> <laughs> it's not for your consumption of your young ears but she told us anyway she probably got that question a lot because that's a phrase most people know this in french it, yeah i think that 
for, as they call us, ignorant Americans, what's French to us is Pepe Le Pew, Lady Marmalade, and to some people, the chef from The Little Mermaid. Can you think of anything else that's French? As Cole said a lot more time, Lisa Bonet. <laughs> <laughs> Julia Child's cooking. <laughs> I wasn't sure what to say about LaBelle. And I said, ooh, let me ask the alien itself, aka Bing GPT, and see, well, what do they say about LaBelle and in particular, Nona Hendricks? And it says... I think I may have asked about LaBelle's fashion. LaBelle, a female rock soul trio, has made significant contributions to Afrofuturism and music. Nona Hendrix, a former member of LaBelle, is particularly noted for her influence. In the 1970s and 1980s, she began making forward-thinking funk rock and soul music as a solo act. Her sound took on a near-cosmic quality shared by Sun Ra, a genre-bending jazz musician known for his avant-garde work. Hendrix's fascination with science, space, and astronomy was rekindled by Afrofuturism, and she introduced these elements into the music of LaBelle that she wrote. The expansion of performance ideas and consciousness is seen as a personification of Afrofuturism. Moreover, LaBelle's Afrofuturist fashion was designed by Larry Legaspi, who also worked with other Afrofuturist groups like Parliament Funkadelic. This visual aspect of their artistry played a key role in their storytelling. As suggested by LaBelle, Afrofuturism and funk expressed a broader contrarian attitude toward conventionality, particularly stereotypes about Black culture and criteria that devalued it. This distinguished funk music from the previous genre of soul. In summary, LaBelle's influence on Afrofuturism spans music, fashion, and cultural attitudes, making them an integral part of the movement. Okay, anybody have any response to that or am I moving on? No response. I'm good with that. Me too, it was accurate. Ooh, ChatGPT being accurate. All right now. Okay. Well, from the architects of space birds to their French as we were laughingly talking about the French influence and culture to today with Solange Knowles. Now, I know the obvious influence would be talking about Beyonce and Renaissance, but we did that already. We talked about Beyonce's space within the Black speculative conversation, not just with uh, the futuristic lyrics of Renaissance, but we also talked about how she played in the Southern Gothic with Lemonade and some other of her albums. We know early on with Get Me Body, she used to have a cybernetic bodysuit. Also, we talked about the Renaissance concert with Miss Simi because the crowd was the visuals. Uh, no official visuals there, but since Mo and Kuma Mendy haven't spoken about Beyonce and her place in Black speculative music, is there anything you all want to say? Well, I'm still high key sick. I had to miss that episode because I had thoughts and things about that. But like everything before, like Beyonce, what she did before, this just kind of just took it to a new level. And the the, the music, seeing the clips from the concert. 
uh, she just did a lot. And I was like, this album definitely just transcended her in my eyes on another level. And she's definitely, it's like, you know, we see documentary of her about how she takes her music serious. She definitely took it up a notch with this album, with Renaissance. And, and I believe that in the future, the years down, down the road, it's going to expire girls, you know, young ladies who's, who are coming into doing music to just be themselves and how just in that bubble, you have to reach out, be creative and everything. And then especially when, when Blue Ivory, I don't know if she decided to do a music career, but she had the girl, like the young girls, her age and younger, going crazy at the shows too. So it's like, you already got Beyonce, then you got her oldest daughter setting it off as well too. So it's just, Renaissance was definitely one of those landmark albums that's just going to change the game for years to come. I think with Renaissance, she is definitely showing um, her musical knowledge and throwing it back to different parts of history. Of course, Renaissance is very much disco, it's house. So it definitely, you know, was influenced by Sylvester or The Wiz or LaBelle. Um, definitely influenced by people that came before us. And I think with her showcasing that, hopefully it will influence some of the younger generation to go back and listen to the older music. Um, we've talked about in our Discord where the gap is. <laughs> there was a gap where people wanted to know on Twitter, why is Diana Ross such a big influence? Yeah. They need to, yeah, they yeah. need to go back and they need to listen to this stuff so then they can hear it and see where Beyonce was influenced with everything. And that's the thing that really gets me is when you hear people saying, so-and-so was influenced, like, what's she doing here? And I'm like, do you not, have you not really paid attention to just the music that has been done, the career trajectory and everything? Just, mm -hmm. I'm like, not pay attention? Do you see that the influence is there? No. I follow this one guy on Instagram, like his whole thing is about how the younger generation thinks their songs are the original of everything. Like nobody's ever influenced by anyone, anything or any group or visuals that they've seen in movies or things like that. Like they're the original of everything. There's nobody, according to them, that can influence the current generation of creatives. Naima Cochran calls that musical family trees. Yes. And when I was thinking about how to present this and I was thinking about maybe an, an avant-garde musical timeline for Black women and femmes in music. And I'm thinking, all right, well, who am I going to start with? And I was going to start with Rosetta Tharp. Rosetta Tharp blended blues and gospel and was an architect in rock and roll, of which everything funk and hip hop and soul and pop, it starts right there. Also, a lot of the ring shout and Black traditions that you can hear and feel in Rosetta Tharp's music, you can hear and feel in today. And then if you want to go down a little bit, if we want to do a family tree, um, from there... Well, okay, so she was in the fifties. So I was I would say even before we get to LaBelle and let's say Brides of Funkenstein, so let's just do them all in another tier. LaBelle 
Brides of Frankenstein or Frankenstein. No, I say he's funk. We love you, Dr. Frankenstein. Your funk is the best. So yeah, that's Frankenstein. Uh Brides of Dr. Why are you laughing? Hey, <laughs> hey no, I'm laughing because it's like look at her rock doing her um singing to the songs that are our part of our lives. Oh hell yeah. So like them, and then you and so we say LaBelle. Brides of Frankenstein, Betty Davis, who we talked about. Also on that branch would be Sylvester. Also, Alice Coltrane. Alice mm. Coltrane was doing spiritual jazz at the time. We talk about some of the things that Minnie Ripperton was doing. Minnie Ripperton used to be, uh, as long as well as Denise Williams, one of some of the background singers for Stevie Wonder. What was there? Wonder Love. So a lot of those vocals that you hear in his experimental albums, that's them. So also, um, see, uh, Grace Jones starts to come in. Let, let's take a little after that, like late 70s into the 80s, right? So let's say there's Grace Jones there. And who else did we want to say in the 80s that was really doing it like Grace Jones that was black woman or femme? What's her, what's her name? Um, Millie Jackson. Oh, okay, she would. Okay, late 70s, early 80s. All right, yeah. Yes, okay. And then let's go down a little bit more. And then let's say into the 80s, into the 90s. And because then we start getting into like the Afro soul, right? So that's when we hit the Erica Badu, the Joy. And then, but then on the other side of that, we have our Missy Elliott. And then we have, let's say, I'm just hitting the broad ones. Obviously, we, oh, excuse me, 80s. And then moving into the 90s, Janet Jackson. Her All Right video, also late 80s into the 90s, in vogue. In terms of visuals, was doing a lot of avant-garde. And I'm not just talking about um, them being in, uh, <laughs> uh, what was it, Batman Forever. No, I'm they thinking. Were? Wait, they were? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did, okay. And they were, they just, they did some rock influence type stuff. They did. Uh, shoot, and I can't think of the name of their video. That I mean, Pretty but there wild. was a few. No, but that was the rock influence. But they did in terms of they they did some vampy horror glamish type videos in terms oh, of um, the. I think um. Yeah, so you guys have to help me out because this is the time where I did not have and, cable. And this reminds me, probably closer to late two thousand nineties, Khalees. Yes, we're gonna get to Khalees in the late nineties and the two thousands. Yes. Uh, so we, we, yeah, because we went back up a branch when we said Janet Jackson transitioning us. So, because can't forget the screen video, what's it going to mm-hmm. be? All right. Doesn't really matter. Like those videos of moving into Badu, didn't you know, next lifetime, yeah. even on and on. Mm-hmm. I think the, right? whole, the, song, the song I was thinking about was whatever. That was the one. Yes. That had, yeah, it was whatever. Yes. See, I see how you all knew that. Like, exactly. So then we're going to go further down a little bit more. Right. So we're into the 90s and the 2000s. We're talking about Missy. You said Khalees. We're saying 
Now you have Aaliyah's videos, Destiny's Child a little bit. And we go into Rihanna, Nicki Minaj, into the 2010s yes. with their videos, right? We could and, even throw um, TLC in there, fan yes. mail videos around that time. Yes. Yes, we can. Of course, we're going to still have to have Janelle Monet. And then we also have, and then getting a little bit closer to where we are now, Don Richard, Chloe and Holly, Doja mm-hmm. Cat, Tierra Wack. Well, if, if you want to mention um, Don, you got to mention Kalani. Okay. Yeah, um, who was in Dirty Money with her after she left Danny McCain. You had to mention that young lady too, because she definitely um, had that influence as well. Okay. So we're talking about the family trees and we're just hitting some of them. We are definitely asking you like, hey, if you hear this episode and you're like, what about, please tweet us or X us or send me an email at watchwithyoupod at gmail.com and we will add it to the list. And if you can, video, because uh, that would also help if they've created a video. You also have Storm Baby. We're also mentioning Flyanna Boss in terms of the new ones who are using the Black speculative to play and avant-garde to express their ideas. Now, Queen Mendy, you just reminded me of two branches that we can kind of go down, and that's the Wiz. Now, if you know me, everything in life tracks back to soap operas, wrestling, and the Wiz and cast. But Soul Bobbers Wrestling and the Wiz. You were kind enough to find TikTok videos for me that explained the fan theory that I heard from Pop Culture Happy Hour that Beyonce's Renaissance stage design and show is really a metaphor for the Wiz. Yes. You want- think mostly based on, I guess, like enlarge a metaphor for the Wiz. But a lot of the staging and costumes are based on the scene where I guess it's kind of like the fashion stroll where they're changing colors and the song is telling you the colors are changing from gold to silver to red to blue. That circle, people are saying that is that is kind of how her stage is set up. And also her costume changes throughout the show and from city to city are all of those different colors. So we're talking the Emerald City scene when well i'm just gonna, i'm not gonna ruin it you can see the whiz now on netflix i saw that and then of course at the end where she is floating above uh that's almost like the whiz as well a reference there and the silver i because dorothy has silver shoes not ruby slippers she has silver shoes and yes. our version of the whiz um, which is about to go back on Broadway and they're opening in Baltimore they, like this weekend. They opened this weekend. The first show I think was yesterday. I want to go to there. Well, one of the signature songs of The Wiz is, is Home, refrain soon as I get home. Also, some people call it When I Get Home, which was the name of the latest project from Solange Knowles. And uh, I think that that album is her most speculative in terms of, although she too is always played in the speculative. We talked about God given name 
and some other cosmologies that she has employed in motifs, Southern Gothic motifs that she's employed in her music. But with this last album and visuals, it's definitely rooted in taking Black people and in particular Southern Black people as they are into the future. Let's talk about Solange and kind of give her her flowers for being in this space. Anybody a Solange fan? I'm definitely a Solange fan. Me too. Her first album, I have played a gazillion, trillion times. And actually, um, that is kind of a throwback. Speaking about LaBelle, we mentioned the Supremes. It's kind of a throwback to that era of music. And then I think she came up with futurism and like, uh, you know, she grew and, and dabbled into where you say she is now with the Afrofuturism. I've read the book, Why Solange Matters by Stephanie Phillips. And they pointed out this quote when she was doing the Soul Angel in the Hadley Street Dreams and was taking her influences from the Marvelettes and the Supremes and and music that the girl groups that her mother loved and was influenced by. And a lot of the reasons why she was in that direction was because she had just, she was a young mother living in Idaho away from her family. And that was a connection to her mother whom she missed the most. But when it came out, she had songs with Lamont Dozier, who was a, one of the surviving session musicians from Motown and who was, really instrumental in that Motown sound, but also the Dap Kings, who was a session band for um, Amy Winehouse and also before Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, recipe Sharon Jones. And they were just talking about uh, Mark Ronson and that sound and how a lot of white British artists was co-opting that sound by way of Amy Winehouse or Duffy or Adele and how so many of the the music critics wanted to compare her sound, Solange's album, to theirs. And she said, you can't compare them because they didn't create it. I made an album influenced by the Marvelettes and the Supremes. And as the children say, bloop. And the thing with that is, the white British artists, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, all of them were influenced by soul artists. Then, and blues, yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, you know what? I'm not going to go there. No, no, you are not going to raise my blood pressure today, Queen Mom Mindy. I'm going to raise your blood pressure? No, not today. I'm going to take a deep breath, cleansing breath. I'm going to woosah. Uh, but yes, they absolutely did. And there, that was part of the critique that Solange has been having, where because her last name is Knowles, the want is to compare her to her sister. And I just remember when um, A Seat at the Table came out and she performed for Saturday Night Live and Seat at the Table came out like a few months after Lemonade came out. And there was some Twitter discourse, I can't remember whom, I wish I could, who said about Tina Knowles that she gave birth to the sun, which would have been Beyonce, and the moon which was Solange. That would be, uh, what What was that? Um, Twitches. Now, I think that's a Maori Twins reference. It is. <laughs> it's a Disney movie reference, too. They were the sun and the moon. 
Oh, were they? Okay. Well, there you go. I was going to say, I actually kind of identify more with Solange's music than I do Beyonce. Sure, I get some tomatoes for that. I don't care. I just, I just, no, it speaks yeah, to me more. Okay. Go ahead. No, I, was, I, agree, I agree with you because there was definitely a time I was I was definitely saying Solange was the better artist and people was definitely in their feelings when I said that. But it was just when you listen to the music, how it resonates with you is why I see why a lot of people would definitely pick up Solange over Beyonce, but love them both. So there we go. Yeah, exactly. So you love them both. They're different. So you have to know the difference. And I just feel like um Solange's is a little more soulful, a little more deep deeper than than Beyonce's can be sometimes. And I think I, I wanna say Solange might also be a little more, I don't know, transparent or open with her feelings than Beyonce is. Beyonce's a little more um, you know, she doesn't express herself or talk or she doesn't let her feelings be known as much. So you have that kind of you don't you kind of have an impasse with her a little bit now renaissance she has you know she's opened up a lot more but you still kind of there's only so much she's gonna tell you that's interesting you're not going to get tomatoes from me about that your opinion is your opinion i think that it's so reductive to just have to be forced to compare them Beyonce does what Beyonce does. Solange does what Solange does. Joy does what Joy does. Cardi does what Cardi does. Nikki does what Nikki does. Rihanna does what Rihanna does. And to go, circle back to Solange, they all have a seat at the table and there's room for more. I think that is part of like the Stan Wars type of thing. Like somebody has to be the best. Someone has to be better. My person is better than your person. It's not... Just like we talked about all these influences, there's space for everybody. Everybody fits in. It all is the same family. You can like it all. It doesn't have to be one person. And it all makes, it makes music better because we have so many choices. Mm -hmm. So here's one thing I could, we can tell that Beyonce doesn't play about her sister. Mm -hmm. um, so years and years and years ago, Fab had a mixtape out. He had a mixtape series out. So he had a line in there where he said, um, if you had a Beyonce, would you want a Solange or something like that? So if they was at a party and Beyonce pressed him, he was like, you know, you had that line in there and that song about my about my sister and I appreciate that. So you need to like apologize to her. It was something something along the lines like they need to apologize for that because you know, I, I didn't appreciate that. And Fab said the next time he saw Solange, he apologized to her because he didn't want that smoke. Beyonce. So as much as they different artists, Beyonce don't play about her sister at all. That reminds me of Chloe and Halle, how they have each other's back. Definitely those two, because they've been getting on um, Halle's, I mean, talking about Halle and her alleged pregnancy. And Chloe was like, are y'all getting money? You know, like, leave my sister alone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at the end of the day, we can say what we want about each other behind closed doors and be mad at each other all we want. But can't nobody outside this family say shit about you because we all coming in because that's what you're supposed to do. Very true. Thanks. I will say this about Solange. 
Solange's choices have impressed me because how many people are composing ballets today? Not many. She's done it. Um, I know that she would do an opera. I am dying to see a new, I don't want an updated version of Porgy and Bess, but I'm saying something like Porgy and Bess, which is an American opera centering and featuring Blackness. I would love to see that. And I could see her definitely being the vehicle or the steward in which that project would be birthed. So I just love the way that she's using artistry in different ways. So it's not necessarily, I'm going to do an album and I'm going to perform that album. I'm going to do some, maybe a few television performances. No, it's, I'm going to score a movie or a documentary or a television show. I'm going to compose a ballet. I'm going to write a jingle for a commercial, which she has done. Like things like that, that's still so relevant and still timely and still influential. I, I like that space that she's occupying and she's occupying it well. And I think will influence people in the future because she's thinking along the lines of being embedded in the past her foot in the present and an eye towards the future and her view of the future. And it is very much centered in black women, Southern black women and femmes. Anybody else has anything to say about Solange? One thing I like about Solange is like her projects are just different. And like when we got, you know, like her first album was definitely, you know, a tribute to the seventies, you know, those groups like that. This is why, you know, T-O-N-Y and I decided, like, two of my favorite songs from that that era. And then you have, like, just the different projects that she's done and how they've all just been different. She didn't try to go back and just stay with the same formula. She just went and said, I'm going to try something else. I'm going to try something else. See, The Table came out and definitely made her a household name if she wasn't one already. That's the reason why... I love her music because it's just so different and I can just listen to it and just get a lot out of it. You know, it's not something I have, you have to really make a big spectacle of. You can just listen to it, vibe out to it and just like, I can enjoy this and just love every minute of it. Okay. So from Supreme Being to Supreme Being, I want to open it up to you all. We named a few artists and our quick and dirty impromptu version of Black women and femme avant-garde artists. But is there anybody that you want to discuss in particular that you're like, you know what? You got to get down with this person. If you're not familiar, check out the videos, check out the music. Anyone that comes to mind? Her name is um, Latasha Lee. I think I stumbled upon her Either somebody like a mutual, like a friend of mine, we just talk about music, or I just came upon her just seeing, just listen to somebody else on title, and she came up on my playlist. But um, she is like a soul singer. She's from Texas, and she's definitely had some great music that she put out. I would say like the mid two thousands, close two thousand ten, but she's definitely. Um, someone that you should if you listen to she doesn't have like a, a like a project project out 
but she has songs out there that's definitely great to listen to. And can you say the name of the artist again, please? It says Latasha Lee and the Black Ties. Okay, thank you. No problem. I just thought of somebody I listened to. Probably around the time uh, Solange's album came out, The Noisettes, they were British and they're very much rock. And then I, I was them. also, they're so awesome. I haven't listened to them forever, but again, around that time, I was listening to them heavy. So, and I guess I'm kind of thinking about rock um, because, or funk. I was also thinking about Big Frida. Of course, Beyonce has worked with Big Frida. She's the queen of bounce. Um, and she is borderline on that uh, androgyny, very femme, presenting male, um, like Sylvester, um, part of our LGBTQ family. And then also, as we've been talking about rock, I've been thinking of really heavy about Little Richard. So although he is a man, he was still very effeminate. And he definitely influenced all of this rock, all of this soul. Everything is definitely comes from his tree also. Mm -hmm. Definitely a branch in avant-garde. Like you said, I'm comfortable with mentioning Little Richard here. And thank you because of, who invented rock and roll? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Truth be told. But he always fought for his respect. Mm -hmm. And that goes into Solange saying, I didn't copy. It comes from me. We started it. Yes. I have some others when you talk about that rock, that LaBelle branch of rock. Tina Bell and the Bam Bams. Tina Bell is the godmother of grunge music. Totally avant-garde, right? So if it wasn't for her and Bam Bam, she was Seattle-based, there would have been no Nirvana. Okay? There would have not been your... And who came out of Nirvana? Dave Grohl. So there would have been no Foo Fighters. There would, not, there would not have been Smashing Pumpkins and a lot of that scene at all without Tina Bell. We talked about, or I talked a little bit about the book that I read, Why Still Launch Matters, that was written by Stephanie Phillips. She's a member of a punk band called Big Joni. Also, if we're going to talk about punk and black punkers, Fifi Dobson. Oh, yes. Fifi Dobson, for sure. I, if we want to put that branch on, that would be around the late 90s, early 2000s branch or timeline of family trees. So I mentioned Baby Stormy, which is now, and we, and we said Flying a Boss, but I mean, you could definitely track Fifi Dobson, her influence on them, for sure. Back to Tina Bell, there's an episode of the podcast Sound and Vision called Tina Bell, Unsung Goddess of Grunge. I remember listening to that. So that awesome. is a good um, way to hear about her backstory. Awesome. And so what I'm essentially saying to you is that I'm going to build a Spotify playlist and that is going to be some. <laughs> that Spotify playlist is going to be fierce. Hey, uh, real, quick, real, quick, mm -hmm. real quick, before you start building your Spotify playlist and, mm -hmm. and distributing all over the world, um, we're talking about artists in the realms of just the rock avant-garde category. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I know I'm one of you've listened to this yet, but um, how about the new album from Corinne Bailey Ray? Yes, I have Black Rainbows. I love okay. Corinne Bailey Ray. There is a book that I can, spoiler alert, will definitely be our winter Ebernauts pick. Yes. yes. And without me like giving a lot of spoilers or whatever, one of the things that I said was like, oh, this album by Corinne Bailey Ray is a perfect soundtrack for this book. And his book, um, should I say it now? No. <laughs> You'll see it later. I'll just say that it's a it is an author that we have that is well read in our group circle. So we were going to talk about her anyway, but uh, the book fits snugly into our season two vibes. And as you said, so does Karen Bailey Ray. But I, you know what? I don't think we gave enough love to Erica Badu, and not just Erica Badu, the Badula, not just for her Afrofuturistic vibes, but also her hoodoo vibes and also voodoo vibes. Because I remember she played a voodoo queen in Blues Brothers 2000 and had a song in there. I will not sing it. I do know it. I will spare you. But also in just when she came out and the spirituality, it was very, very much based in hoodoo which also fits into that Black speculative aesthetic, culture, media. We talked a little bit about it in other episodes this season. So does anybody want to just give some love to Erica Baidu? Does anybody want to give up their window seat for the bag lady? Like in her real life, not just in her music. It's very spiritual, very hoodoo. I mean, down to like her rituals she does every day in her everyday life. She has incense in a certain smell. <laughs> uh, she she is just, I mean, they talk about like um, Afro soul or whatever. She was very much, or Neo soul, she was very much the person that kicked that off or was very influential in it and kind of brought it in. And I would say Solange. Solange kind of fits in that realm too. So uh, she she was very much the person that kicked that off. And um, some of my favorite songs are um, Next Lifetime and Honey. And she, she's definitely creative. And she has a lot of fun with her music. So even though it's deep, you kind of, you're in on the fun, you're in on the joke. I agree with that. I think that Erica Badu and Missy Elliott understand how to have humorous interludes in their songs they have a wicked wit all day also shout out to wicked wisdom now that i think about it jada pick smith but um i i totally agree with that and with the humor hmm. and now that you mentioned jada pick smith what is the daughter's name then she has she has a group too and i want to say it's rock oh willow uh, willow yeah yeah hmm. look at our family tree just growing our musical family <laughs> tree that timeline yeah, going back to verses or comparing um, where Jill Scott is. I mean, she's humorous, not like Erica Badu. Like it's different. Ah, I, you know, I don't think as Jill Scott as humorous. I think it's Jill Scott as freaky. Like I'm like, write, write a, a romance novel, Jill Scott. I'd be here for that. 
But real quick, get back to Erica Badu real quick. Um, her first album definitely was a was a vibe. I was in tenth grade, listened to, had that album. My mother bought it for me on cassette, and I was just like always playing it back and forth. And then, you know, Mama's Gun came out in two thousand. I remember first seeing her in D'Angelo's Lady Remix video. And I didn't know who she was at the time because Joy was in there in the video and um, Faith Evans and her daughter yes. was in the video too. When I found out who Erica Badu was, I was like, who is this brown-skinned woman? I said, I know the other two women. And I'm like, but who's the, who's this woman? And then on the High School High Sound track, her and D'Angelo covered um, Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell's Your Special Love, I think is what it's called. Yeah, they covered that on that um, on that soundtrack. And so when she came out, she just made, you know, I had an, made an impact. And she was just everywhere. The next thing you know, she had the live album with Tyrone. And then, like I said, Mama Gun came out. Then she just dropped her little mixtapes and everything. So she's been quite a fixture in the music scene for, you know, well over 20 years. The question, 50th year of hip hop. Without us looking at the Black speculative lens per se, is there any Black woman or femme within your 50 years of hip-hop knowledge that you want to lift up as avant-garde? I can't think of anybody. Not in hip-hop in particular. Okay. But you know what? I've realized this. I've been saying avant-garde, avant-garde, and we didn't define it. So anybody who's experimental with ideas and methods in art, music, literature, whatever. So there's nobody that you were saying like, oh, them. Because I can say like Salt and Pepper really did it with the hair and a fashion for me in terms of like early hip hop. Yeah, um, I remember Pepper saying that she was definitely into that rock phase when I think she had moved out to the Midwest or close to the West Coast or something like that. I remember they were doing that, that documentary, probably on VH, but she was saying she was definitely into that rock style and everything and just listen to that music also my favorite album by them is called black's magic so i mean i tried not to tie it in but no uh they still have that uh i would say queen latifah i mean she definitely ushered in uh a more i guess conscious for women mm-hmm. type of a thing and afrocentrism and um when she was rapping she melded you know, jazz and everything into her her songs. Well, anybody else in hip-hop that you want to talk about? Somebody mentioned Khalees, which we all agree has a branch, or Doja Cat, you, or Nicki Minaj, if you want to talk a little bit about her music or music videos in terms of spectrality or being avant-garde or her fashion. Nicki is very creative. She definitely did. I mean, that whole Barbie thing is taken off and now there's a Barbie movie and she's a part of that. So she was at the forefront of that. I almost want to say, she, well, she, we were talking about Erica Badu and humor. I want to say she brought a lot of humor. I want to say around the time she got popular, maybe she made it a little more acceptable to like things like Barbie or like now people like a lot of anime. And they show it off in their music and in their clothing. So like uh, Megan the Stallion loves anime and she, a lot of her costumes and different things, the way she dressed like that is influenced. Yeah. So maybe Nikki kind of brought that in. Yeah. Well, think about what was that her the on her first album, the Pink Friday album. What was the song 
where she was dressed like a geisha. Was that your love? That may have been like, you know, an homage to anime and some other stuff. And and if we're talking fashion and forward thinking, we definitely have to mention Little Kim. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Little Kim made award shows must see. Her stylist team from the wigs, her videos as well. The the makeup choices, I don't think that she she was like too um out there with the makeup choices because I, I think about like the the brown lip liner and stuff like that. I see her and Mary J. Blige with a lot of that. My understanding of MAC cosmetics and knowing that besides fashion fair, like that's where you could go and really get glammed up. And I remember she did the Viva Glam with MAC Cosmetics pretty early and it was a very successful campaign for them. Like she was one of the first ones that was successful. And then going back to uh people not knowing who Diana Ross is <laughs> that, that that moment between Diana Ross and Lil Kim that yeah. hasn't made it up on the social media profiles. Wow, but absolutely that candy colored hair and, and matching outfits. You are absolutely right when it comes to fashion. Also a LaBelle baby and was in Lady Marmalade, Lil Kim. And I want to say, even though her music, his music is not as, is not as, well, no, it is plentiful. It's plentiful. I'm going to say it is because I love, I love her music. RuPaul. RuPaul was part of Viva Glam. RuPaul is definitely influenced. Big Frida. I mean, probably Beyonce. And RuPaul has a vast musical knowledge. So she was influenced. By everybody from the past. You know what? I forgot that Rue has music. Rue has, I mean, from supermodel to even now. I love like her recent albums. Very, I would say dance. And she's worked with um, Big Frida. Hey, I'm so glad you brought up Rue. I love Rue. See, it's like the more we think about it, talk about it. I tell you, it's coming out. Anybody else? Tina Turner, I was waiting to say. And not just for the costumes, we're talking about avant-garde and pushing things to the next level in terms of artistry and dance and influence of the white British rockers. Uh, Another architect of rock and roll and instrumentality and singing, but also in acting where that transition with Mad Max and the dystopia and costumes. But uh, I think that Tina Turner also I would put in the avant-garde and black spectrality timeline. And futurism and um, very much uh, soul, soulful rock. Yeah. Anybody else that comes to mind? Like who should definitely be on our playlist? If, as we are thinking about them, dear listener, if you're saying this person, this person, let us know. You know, please send an email. You can tweet us if you're still on X or whatever it is. The artist formerly known as Twitter. They're not even cool enough to get a Prince reference. So, but you're absolutely right. Like that, or you can send us an email again. That email address is watchwithyoupod at gmail.com. And let us know who else you would put on there. Who is on your Black femme and Black woman avant-garde Black speculative family tree. Who's on your musical timeline? 
who do you agree with? Who don't you agree with? Who did we miss? Let us know. Is there anything else anybody wants to say about Black women, Black femme, avant-garde, Black spectrality, music? Final thoughts. I just found one of the like um, rock bands. They're called Mm -hmm. uh, Meet Me at the Altar. Oh, that's a name. That's a heck of a name for a band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. <laughs> that's that's a whole so, lot. Yeah. Can you tell us about them? Um, I think they're more rock, kind of. Like I follow them, or yeah, I'm looking at a picture of them, and it's very much like rock or grunge. They have like the cut off leggings and what you were describing, like probably like the chains and stuff. So what you're trying yeah. to say is that that was me in 2000 going a neo. Possibly, soul. yes, <laughs> definitely. Okay. There is another group that I mentioned once and an A's particular song, but I definitely want to give them a little bit more shine. And that is the Pointer Sisters. Um, They are a genre bending group of sisters from Oakland, California. Yeah, some people, they'll say that's the center of the world. I love fairy tale. They have steam heat. Um, I what brought them to memory is that on our Discord, which you, if you're listening to this, can very well have an invitation to, our very own Mo put their classic. Is it the number song? Is that what we call it from Sesame Street? So you should know what this is. And I'm like, oh my god, I know what it is without pushing play because I love the Pointer Sisters. So they go back and be talking about slow hand. Yes, you can. But also in the Black Spectrality, they have automatic and neutron dance. And neutron dance was made for a film mm-hmm. about um, nuclear power. So they are literally talking about neutrons. As in with nuclear power. Yes. Mm-hmm. Going once, going twice, clearing all hearts and minds. We're all clear. Saying we're all clear. Yes, yes. Mr. Mo. Yes. Your heart and mind clear? Yes. Well, right then, our watch has ended. So thank you so much for joining us for Maurice. Lady D, Queen Mamendi, I am Lady H. Y'all take care. Bye. 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 Bye, everybody.